0: Wait for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, listeners. This is Dr. Bruce Keesling, just a GP. Here in the studios of News Radio 650 KENI. I hope you had a good holiday last week. Please call in with your questions, five two two zero six fifty early on, so that we can get to them before the end of the hour. How can we help you? Give us a clue. First, I have to comment, uh, you know, it seems every time I go out on the road, I'm dodging someone who is uh, really not in the car, but nonetheless is on the highway uh, next to me, changing lanes or has never learned of the importance of merging uh with consideration invariably um it seems that they're on a cell phone so let's go ahead and give you an update on the cell phone the uh some of the data you know our smartphones certainly enable us and encourage us to keep connected all the time and wow uh, you know you go out to dinner you go out to any uh situation and people are seem to be glued to their cell phone but then you know, when people are doing their stereotypes and profiling, I, you know, I'm an older white gentleman, and so uh, I guess I have my um, uh, people profile me from my perspective. But nonetheless, you have to admit objectively and empirically, folks are on their cell phone uh, more often than they are in conversation with the people who are next to them. In any case, in the car, even whether uh, when they're driving, we've got this uh, problem, and it's been shown in a number of studies that a person who is on their cell phone uh, several things happen. One their uh, reaction time is equivalent to being having a uh, blood alcohol of 0.1 to 0.15 which is of course legally drunk in other ter- in other words reaction time ability to react to a situation. Also they develop tunnel vision they're only looking in a very narrow window. You can see this really commonly particularly on merging people on their cell phone whether they're talking or texting, which is horrible, but you can see that they're only looking straight ahead. They are not looking over their shoulder and they're not merging. Uh and, you know, in a considerate fashion. And the other thing that happens is that they're invariably driving about 10 miles an hour slower than everyone else, creating a traffic flow issue. Well, there was a study also that said that uh while these you know, smartphones, they have tremendous potential to improve our welfare, and uh, but they come at a cognitive cost, too, the study suggests. Uh, they uh, tested the brain drain hypothesis that the mere presence of your own smartphone uh, will tie up your already limited capacity uh, cognitive resources, and that, you know, that will undercut your ability to think and to react, not just react, but just think, period. And in, this, in these uh, two experiments, uh, that people, even when people are successful at maintaining sustained attention, uh, like when avoiding the temptation to check their phones, the mere presence of these devices reduces their available cognitive capacity. In other words, they're already got anxiety. Am I going to miss a text? Am I going to miss a phone call? Uh, am I going to miss a alert, a text the mere presence of the phone uh, compromises their cognitive ability and this these cognitive costs are highest not surprisingly in those who um those highest in smartphone dependence and so the practical implications of this smartphone induced brain drain uh is as you might expect speculative but certainly something of uh, that empirically we have to worry about particularly when we're driving if you recall back in the day well, not too long ago i talked about the issue of can cell phone itself use cause cancer and the answer actually about nearly a year ago that answer changed from possibly to probably and uh, back and this this data continues to be corroborated uh, there more than 90 studies showing that radiation emitted by cell phones and other wireless devices can damage DNA. And that's the first step, damaging DNA uh, to the road to cancer. And they started out, of course, uh, studying animals. One in every 12 animals study were affected by the radiation and the development of a glioma, uh, which is a relatively rare aggressive type of brain cancer. And that's already been associated or linked to cell phone use in people. Uh, then they had precancerous uh, lesions as well, more common in those that was dose related to the amount of cell phone or radiation uh, exposure. So there are a couple of things to take away from uh, this, and that's that the, the notion that the only unsafe radiation is thermal radiation, in other words, radiation that heats tissues such as X ray, and that non thermal radiation, uh, radio frequency radiation, that doesn't heat the t- tissue and therefore is safe. Well, that's, that's false. The non-thermal radiofrequency radiation actually is harmful and it's dose-related. These studies showed um, that that was the case. And then epidemiologic studies that analyze uh, health data from hundreds or thousands of people have linked gliomas and schwannomas, which is another type of uh, nerve cell cancer, Uh, to long-term cell phone use. And uh, gliomas aren't the only dangers. The research uh, links wireless devices to meningioma. Uh, That was in the oncology reports. Heavy use of mobile and cordless phones, twice the risk of meningioma. Salivary gland or parotid tumors, that's uh, right there in the jawline, right where your phone uh, often hits while you're talking on it. Acoustic neuroma and uh, even... Uh, breast cancer, uh, an interesting re- relationship, those uh, women who tucked their smartphones into their bras for up to 10 hours a day for several years. Now, I didn't know that women did that, but apparently a fair number of women do, and those uh, increase their risk for breast cancer. And none of those women that developed the breast cancer relating to their how they carried their cell phone had that genetic BRCA1 or BRCA2. In other words, it was an independent risk based on their exposing themselves to the uh, cell phone radiation. So how do you protect yourself? So really, any uh, any step or, uh, that you can take to reduce radiation is protective because radiation toxicity is cumulative, meaning that uh, the high, the higher the exposure, the higher your risk. And it, it's not something where you get exposed and then you get over it. The changes are cumulative, and so the devices that you should be concerned about most, of course, are cell phones, cordless phones, handsets and bases, Wi-Fi routers, wireless computers, uh, and so on, uh, wireless apparatus. So to decrease your exposure to wireless radiation, you keep the wireless devices uh, uh, as far away from you as possible, and, and this, just a few inches, can make a big difference. So they're recommending in this article never put the phone next to your head. Well, good luck with that. Don't put a, a turned-on device in a pocket or jacket or tucked into clothing. Keep it in a carrier bag, such as a briefcase or a purse. Don't rest the wireless device on your body. This includes your pocket, laptop. Who knows? Maybe that's a, there's a correlation here and the relative uh, decreased sperm count in, in men uh, because those men who carry it in their pocket. But in any case, I that isn't addressed in a specific study. So, and then they go on to talk about prefer texting to calling, uh, but, but please, God, don't do it while you're driving. Putting your cell phone in airplane mode stops radiation. Putting your cell phone in airplane mode stops radiation. So, look for the function key on your wireless device that turns off the Wi-Fi. Turn it off when the device isn't in use. And... Uh, there's a, f- a function, a key to turn off your Bluetooth transmissions. Don't use your cell phone in metal surroundings, such as a bus, train, or air- airplane. That the, that creates hot spots and increases exposure, and so on. So, uh, call in with your questions, five two two zero six fifty, and let's get to you before the end of the hour. Cell phones are dangerous in so many ways, most particularly and most immediately, when you're using them while you're driving. We've talked about, you know, cognitive impairment and, you know, longevity and the like. I want to talk to you a little bit about a product that I'm surprised I haven't gotten a call on uh, that's been studied for a couple of years at least, perhaps a little bit longer. And it is um, a, a medicine that help. I mean, we're talking about pennies of this, uh, the, the cost of this medicine. It helps keep blood sugar levels in check without serious side effects. It's typically the first-choice treatment for type 2 diabetics, and it's sometimes prescribed for prediabetes as well. And together, those two conditions uh, afflict half of American adults, half of American adults. Uh, So in 2014 alone, Americans filled almost 80 million prescriptions for this product. And curiously enough, People who take this product, this medicine, tended to be healthier in several uh, ways. They lived longer and had fewer cardiovascular events. And at least in some studies, they were less likely to suffer from dementia. What is this product? This product is called Metformin. And so I'm going to ask you to do some homework between now and next week. Look up the product Metformin, M-E-T-F-O-R-M-I-N, and just Google Metformin longevity studies Metformin anti-aging, and you'll see a bunch of things come up on Google. Well, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the usual stuff that pops up that's garbage, but there are some really credible things going on here. Uh, not incredible, but credible. Um, uh, there's a there's a big study going on in, um, in Mount Sinai or Einstein Medical School uh, Medical Center. And so, what we have with the whole aging issue, that there's a primary risk factor for many disabling diseases, and among them, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, so and, and Alzheimer's disease, and cancer. The death, the risk of death from these causes, is accelerated between the ages of 35 and 85. So, the whole point of, is not to increase uh, lifespan, but to increase health span. So, several mechanisms have been shown. To delay aging process, I've talked to you about telomeres and all these other experiments with uh, preserving these strands uh, and keeping apoptosis, which is the biologic term for uh, what's considered normal or inevitable aging, from starting so soon. So the investigator's goal in this particular study is is to identify mechanisms in the aging process and how the and the possibility of a commonly used drug metformin uh, to reverse some of those aspects. Now, metformin, first of all, is pennies. It costs pennies. It's an FDA-approved drug, been used since the 1990s. I prescribe it all the time because it is the first-line choice for uh, early diabetes. Many people, if I can get them into uh, proper nutrition, ideal weight, and a fitness program only need metformin to control their abnormal glucose. So what's been found, though, in those circumstances, that it's associated with less age-related disease in general. And there has been numerous epidemiologic studies that have shown an association with a decreased risk of cancer as well as decreased cancer mortality, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, the these investigators uh, believe that if metformin changes the biology of aging and tissues to a younger profile, it supports the notion that this drug may have widespread use as a true anti-aging drug. It's interesting that when I uh, was down with my, with my son finishing up his medical school and he was getting prepared to go into uh, neurosurgery residency, that one of his... Um, mentors uh, that helped him a great deal with his neurosurgical interests himself a fairly young neurosurgeon had started himself on metformin he was in his 40s he had no diabetes and he felt that the uh, evidence was compelling as well about this Uh, you know I I'm looking seriously into it I have been following it for at least a year and why don't you look it up see what you think Metformin, Google Metformin, anti-aging. Call in with your questions, and uh, let's get to them before the end of the hour. Okay, so we have a, a an article that says there was you know problem with some of the studies. Knee osteoarthritis linked to premature mortality in the largest analysis to date. Now this. Meta-analysis means that you kind of uh, gather a bunch of data on a bunch of studies that were designed to find something else out, but then you take that data and you try to find something else in this mix. Well, there's a lot of problems with meta-analysis, as you can imagine. But this was on about 12,000 patients, and they showed that uh, people with symptomatic and radiographically confirmed knee osteoarthritis were... Uh, 17% greater risk of premature mortality. Uh, What are you going to conclude from that? Well, I I really think that's going to be related to your activity level and that if you become less active, you're going to have more medical problems. I have to be fair, though, and mention that From the British Medical Journal that was just published uh, in June of 2017, a large study that suggested, and wait for it, physical activity, which I've been touting as one of the most important things to prevent cognitive decline, they think that cognitive decline uh, comes as a result of decreased physical, uh, physical activity. Uh, declines as a result of the cognitive impairment and not the vice versa, that the the physical activity in and of itself did not uh, necessarily preserve the cognitive function. Now, uh, I'm just trying to be, you know, objective about this, and when we see conflicting results, we have to wonder about it. Nonetheless, the, the data on physical activity and being an ideal um, cardiovascular fitness and the association of physical activity and weight uh, to a number of medical problems from diabetes to uh, various cancers is, is compelling and irrefutable. But uh, the connections that have developed more recently in some of the research that said that physical activity is a guarantee that you didn't have to worry about cognitive decline or you could mitigate it, uh, that needs to be scrutinized just a bit more. Call in with your questions, Five two 650 We'll get to you before the end of the hour. We have um, a number of solicitations for you to send in your spit. Okay? Go ahead and send in your spit, and we'll do all kinds of analysis. But before you send in your spit to 23 and Me, there's a few things that you need to know. Uh, first of all, this is a pretty good way to freak people out. Now, 23andMe is vaguely aware of this possibility. However, they're a business and they want to sell it. Before customers opt to know whether they carry either of two genetic variants that raise a person's risk of Parkinson's or one variant that increases the risk of Alzheimer's, 23andMe uh, requires them to read additional information and warns them that the tests of these genes are about serious diseases that may not currently have any effective treatment or cure and that it's not a guarantee that you're going to get it if you... Test uh, uh, positive with this genetic test. So, what happens is that people who have ever been diagnosed with anxiety or depression, who then gets on, on the and sends in their spit and they find out that they might be, or they might, they have this gene that might be associated or seems to be associated with increased risk, that's only going to heighten their depression or their anxiety. And they may experience, certainly, emotional difficulty as a result of the report. The 23 Me recently uh, received approval this week for, uh, from regulators to sell reports on their genetic risk for 10 diseases, and I'll tell you what they are. We've got a caller here that I want to get to. 10 diseases, most prominently Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Uh, but before you send in your saliva sample and $199, uh, there's a few things you need to know, and I'll get to that. But right now, I want to talk to Paul. You're on the air. Hi, how you doing? I'm well and thankful. How are you? I'm just the same as you. Leon, hey, I just wanted to ask something real quick. Coffee study shows one cup of coffee a day, decaffeinated or caffeinated, or 12% reduction in heart attack cancer risk, and two cups to three cups a day, uh, 18% from what I heard today, 18% less risk. And my only question is for you, and I'll hang up and take the answer on the air. My only question is, um, I know I had a heart attack 15 years ago, what they call the widow maker, and I'm just fine now, thank God. But it was, um, uh, but they say that uh, drinking caffeinated coffee, at least, can raise your blood pressure significantly um, at times. I don't know if it's short-term or long-term. But if you would, uh, yeah, just comment on that, and I'll listen on the air. Okay, Paul. Uh, so you bring up some good points, and that's one of the things that I was going to talk about today, if I didn't get any callers, was about the coffee studies that have recently been uh, point, put forth again. Uh, there have been things I've reported in the past about how coffee was salubrious, uh, health to your health. First of all, I, I will say that in truth, if you look at these studies, I think the best you can get out of them is that you don't have to worry about drinking coffee, whether it helps you or not. Is, you know There are confounding factors. For instance, uh, Paul, if you look at that study, you'll see that the people uh, that were drinking a the, uh, the disproportionate number of the people who were drinking a lot of coffee also uh, were making more money. And there's an association between folks who, um, you know, work harder and make more money, uh, and uh, they have better health generally. And that can be because they have better health habits, because they may have better nutrition. So the coffee really becomes incidental to it. The point, the point and I think the most important point, uh, Paul, is that uh, you can drink the coffee with impunity, uh, and whether it really helps. Now, I'm a coffee. I'm a very committed coffee drinker, so I'd love to to think that this is going to be, you know, coffee is going to be my metformin, that I've been, you know, good to my body for the last 50 years that I've been drinking coffee. But I just think that all we can say is it uh, get some reassurance. Your question about blood pressure is, you know, it, it, individual variant. And whenever somebody wonders about their blood pressure, I tell them, "Gosh, you have the capacity to find out yourself. You have a blood pressure machine, and if you don't, you should have one." Uh, Paul, if uh if blood pressure or uh, has it played any role in your hereditary, or if you're on blood pressure medicine, you you need to have a blood pressure cuff because you get a symptom and you wonder, "Gosh, I wonder if that's related to my blood pressure." Well, you can measure your blood pressure and find that out. Immediately. If you're wondering if a cup of coffee or two cups of coffee in the morning suddenly shoots your blood pressure up, well, you can find that out. I think uh, early morning blood pressure is a very important reading anyway, uh, because uh, someone who has a history of blood pressure or you're being monitored for high blood pressure or you're on medicines for high blood pressure is to know that your early morning blood pressure is in good control. Because, you know, in the early morning before your mind's racing and your body is really super active, your blood pressure should be in a very good range. If it's elevated uh, in the morning before you get rolling, then your blood pressure is not well controlled. So with that in mind, Paul, you get up, you check your blood pressure. Let's say it's normal. And you take your a cup of coffee, then check your blood pressure again. See if you're one of those folks that it suddenly shoots up. But remember, your blood pressure is going to shoot up in exercise, too, And shooting up is not, uh, by itself, a problem. It's sustained high blood pressure that's a problem. So how long does it stay up? In order to get a feel for how you're reacting to coffee, you're going to have to do some homework on your own, probably on the weekend when you're not at work, where you're checking your blood pressure and you're seeing what happens at various times of the day when you like to drink coffee. And... Uh, As it pertains to your specific question, Paul, do I have to worry because I had a heart attack raising my blood pressure when I take coffee? Your blood pressure is going to go up, Paul, every time you work out. And you, having had a heart attack, hopefully went through the program of safe uh, rehabilitation and what goals you're looking for with your pulse rates and your blood pressure as you uh, rebuild and as you rebuild from that event. And with that in mind, you can then check your blood pressure after you take the coffee and get the answers that you're looking for. All right. calling with your questions. We'll get to you at the end of the hour. What will a genetic test actually tell me? At most, it will tell you that you have a DNA variant that, according to research, is associated with a higher risk of disease. At most. Okay? So that means at most, we can make you anxious. Now we can't tell you that you're going to get the disease. At most, we can tell you you can start worrying about getting that disease. So, for a rare clotting disorder like uh, hereditary thrombophilia, the report will say that you do or n- do not carry a variant called factor V Leiden and um, another a variant. So, 23andMe is fine-tuning reports, but its tests will also tell you the presence or absence of variants affecting the risk in your lifetime, uh, but If there's enough science to quantify that, the report will specify a percentage, like your risk is 3%. Okay, now what are you going to do? you Are going to dwell on that 3% risk and you thought beforehand you had a 0% risk? Well, I can tell you that you have an over 50% risk if you're overweight, if you're obese. I can quote you Dr. Osler, one of the most famous clinicians from Johns Hopkins in the early part of the 20th century, who said, the overweight and obese dig their own graves with their own teeth, okay, that's, that's greater than a 50%. Um, in fact, it gets up in the 80% depending on what are other medical problems you might have. So why wh- what's this 3% going to tell you? Um, if they can't tell you a specific percentage, it will just say that there is a quote-unquote unspecified increased risk. Why do you want to know that? Um, you can look it up. You can then uh, then get into a, a big research on your own. For Alzheimer's, carrying uh, two copies of the ApoE4 variant, one from each uh, parent, as 1% to 2% of the population does, it raises the lifetime risk of a disease, uh, perhaps as much as 87% compared to 9%. Well, we don't have any good drugs for Alzheimer's. So, even though um, I guess I could get it checked, and there is some, you know, I think there was some suggestion I've, uh, back in the, uh, my genetic background includes um, some folks that may have, th- those who lived long enough, may have had some dementia. But, uh, you know, the medicines for Alzheimer's really are, are pretty crummy, and you don't take them in a, a preventive way. You do all the things you can do nutritionally. Remember Grieger's book and some of the things they talk about nutritionally uh, that you um, have been shown regarding uh, cognitive decline. I uh, participate in that program, Posit Science. I told you about Posit Science. It's uh, the only thing uh, in terms of games. There's all kinds like Luminosity, remember, got sued for outrageous representations. Now they've been making hundreds of millions of dollars selling their product, but they, they couldn't prove it, so they got to pay... They had to pay a couple million dollars in a penalty for it. Well, luminosity doesn't have the uh, the research and some of the data behind it that Posit Science does. Posit Science is a and you know it's fourteen bucks a month. You can see if you like it. Uh, yeah, you can get it a little less expensive if you buy a yearly subscription. What's the downside? It's a game. It helps with you know your visual acuity, your uh, recognition, and some of the executive function. And there's some studies that are accumulating. Uh, quite a few of them, actually. There's been studies since 2007 that this might be helpful. I don't know if it's helping me or not, but I'm willing to do it for that price because there's no downside. And hey, if Tom Brady's using it to improve his uh, recognition uh, and reaction time and uh, worried about his own cognitive decline at his age, heck, you know, for 14 bucks, you know, I will bromance and bond with Brady and see if it will help me. So I'm not going to get that test for Alzheimer's. Um, so we have uh, the pulmonary disorder, alpha-1 antitrypsin, Gaucher disease, uh, some other things. There's ten this month. The um, the ten um, things that you could screen for: uh, g- anemia causing G6PD uh, deficiency, uh, movement disorder, early onset primary dystonia. Well, if that's confusing to you, then that tells you that this is not really for you. Uh, because the likelihood that this is going to be benefit to you, uh, other than, you know, creating a new thing to worry about, I think we've got enough. So, will a test tell me if I'm doomed to get one of these terrible disorders? The answer is no. None of the genetic variants that 23andMe tests for is what's called fully penetrant, meaning 100% risk of those who carry the variant that will develop the disease. So, no. You will not be told that you are doomed. Uh, so, it, uh, so, if uh, some people say it's important for people to know that even if they have a mutation in the genes, uh, that that doesn't necessarily mean that they will get that disease. Okay, so do these tests work better for some groups of people than others? Uh, there, more, uh, the studies have study uh, been more on people of European descent than other groups, so they have more data on white people and 23 uh, and me knows this so its reports will include warnings about the uh, the relevance to different ethnic groups i want to talk about an hbo uh, document drama that some of my colleagues were concerned about being misleading but i'm going to have to wait till next week do your homework on metformin and anti-aging and call in next week with whatever questions you have i'm going to talk about that Oprah Winfrey HBO docudrama here in the studios of News Radio 650 KENI with me, just a GP. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.